When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on I accept the job and I've got a vacation, waiting for an invitation, sharing water bottles and other things, and oops, sticky bills made me overpay the sitter. Plus your most excellent feedback etiquette salute and a postscript segment on moms and wedding planning. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about baby showers and how many thank yous you have to issue. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Whoa, I'm spent. How you doing? <laughs> like white-knuckled at home last night. I was at an event in Boston, uh, actually Melrose, so just outside of Boston, for a company called Elementa, Elementa for Women, which is a women's organization that uh, helps to educate women about cannabis. And so it creates safe comfortable environments for women to come and ask questions, get information, talk about their experiences. This group in particular is led by a woman named uh, Aliza Sherman, and she has a book out, Cannabis and CBD. And it's also by 10 Speed Press, our publisher. And ironically, we didn't get connected through our publishers, but we got connected through Twitter. (laughs) And yay for DMing. And uh, she invited me to come down and, and represent higher etiquette at this event. And it was really cool. A lot of boomers, um, a lot of women dealing with issues like menopause and just changing bodies, changing energy levels, and a lot of pain management that was talked about. So it was really fun kind of breaking some of the stigmas, talking about a lot of the science, and just being in the presence of these great women. And really fun to be out there with another author who's on tour, you know, in this space and experiencing a lot of the same things that we've been experiencing. I know that you've learned a lot from that relationship with the other author. Yes. And I'm glad that you finally got a chance to get together and do one of these events that I know you've been looking forward to. It's so cool. And it it really is... It really is one of those experiences where it's a small enough group that you do get to ask your personal questions or you could get one-on-one time with the particular presenter that that you have something you'd like to discuss not in front of the group with. And to me, as you know, as as any listener to the show who's who's had me just call up and talk with them one-on-one knows that that's like my favorite thing. I know it's a slightly different area of our business, but I experience the same thing with our business seminars all the time. Yes. We oftentimes say the ideal audience size is 20 to 40, and I don't ever want to really limit people too, too much. I always say it it can drift up bigger than that. I certainly do these for larger groups. 5,000, no problem. We'd love that. (laughs) And I'll let you squeeze 55 in for a half day or a day. (laughs) Totally. But it's those groups that are closer to that 20 end of the spectrum, and If you're so fortunate, maybe you're doing dining of seven people sitting around a table together. And those are the experiences where you get that back and forth, where it becomes less of a teaching experience and more of an active discussion. And it really is. It's it's rich. It's fun for me, for us. For us, respectively. Yeah, no, it it really, really is. And I love getting out there in an era where so much of our country is divided and where people – and trust me, people did it in Emily's Day, too. Next week, we're going to talk about an article that she wrote that y'all are going to laugh really hard at. 
oh my goodness, could have been written today. But it's easy to say that etiquette and civility are dead. And it's really, really nice to go out and remind people that we are here, that our homepage on our banner has consideration, respect, and honesty, you know, right there, ready to welcome you into a space that is what you're looking for. And it was so nice to be able to share that and let them know, hey, we've got this awesome podcast and um, and, some new listeners, perhaps. Well, yeah, exactly. And also to share the wonderful experience that you, our listeners, have given us, which is these thousands of emails that I've received over the past five years that say listening to this show changed how I operate in the world, changed how I interact with the people, made me more aware, made me more considerate, made me think Ladies and gentlemen, that is how we change the world. That is how we make a difference. That is how we do not yell at each other and hate each other despite our differences. So share this podcast, share other podcasts that allow people to express perspective and encourage self-reflection and encourage paying attention to the people around you. I swear to you, we will change the world if we get this out there. I couldn't agree. It's the highest compliment that we receive on this show when questions begin and people talk about how just participating in the discussion, giving their attention to these themes, these ideas, these concepts of consideration, respect and honesty makes an impact and it's transformative. And I have said repeatedly that I think human attention is a gift. And I think where we choose to give our attention, where we allow ourselves to focus is one of the places where we have a lot of control in our lives. And when you make the choice to put positive influences in that field of attention, the impacts really – they can be subtle, they can be dramatic, but I think they're real. No matter what, they are powerful, I think. Even in their subtlety, they can be powerful. With that, let's both give and receive some attention. <laughs> let's get to some questions. I love it. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can do so many things. You can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You may also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, we know you're out there. 
please remember to put sustaining member in your message because we answer your questions on the sustaining member episode, which comes from a smaller pool of people. And I had a conversation with a sustaining member recently who was saying, what about all that bonus material? And I said, go to the sustaining member website. I know it takes a login, but the bonus question for each show are all categorized together and they're in clusters of 25. So you have shows and shows of extra material waiting for you. Good reminder about where to access that extra question each week. And there's certainly a lot of them built up. We begin today with an appropriate summer question. I accept, and I've got a vacation coming. Hey, Lizzie and Dan. Hope you're both enjoying your spring. I'm currently wrapping up a job interview process for a company. It's going exceptionally well, and I hope I'm not jinxing things when I say that I'm expecting an offer. It's quite a step up from my current role, and I'm very excited about the direction it could take my career in. The thing is, I have a 14-day vacation planned for my birthday in two months. The tickets are booked and the lodging has been reserved. Is it bad form to bring this up during the job offer negotiation? I don't want to sound like I'm not taking my training seriously. I'd technically still be within the three-month probationary period. But I also don't want to accept the position and spring it on them later. Would either of you have any advice on how I'd bring this up? Thanks so much for doing what you do, S. Oh, S, I, this is so tough. This, this is, is a tricky oh, one. Oh, it just is. You know, it's like you're trying to, when you're either in between jobs or or just simply an opportunity has come your way that you weren't expecting, you know, you have made plans in the future. And that can be a really just, sometimes it's a deal breaker, sometimes it's not. I think you have to weigh out how worth it this vacation is to you. And also what kind of refunds you can get. I mean, literally, there is actually a financial cost to this. So yep. figure that out for sure. Maybe the new pay covers the cost and you can eat the cost. And then go to, No one likes eating the cost of a couple grand. I mean, I think losing that is losing that. and No one likes doing that. But I do think you need to tell them about it. And I think you do that once you have the offer in hand and you start talking about start dates and you start talking about trainings and schedules and things like that. I agree. I think that the first step here has got to be that personal decision-making process where you say to yourself, what are my bottom lines? And I always like to be really clear with myself about what those are. If you accept the job and that probationary period is not something that's flexible and accepting the job means not doing this vacation that you have planned, is that okay with you? And if it is, that puts you in a position where you have all the information you need to make good choices. You can explain what the situation is and you can say, I'm really interested in what your thoughts are. I'm willing to work with you or to accept any decision that you make. And including that as part of your ask or letting them know, depending on how you frame it, allows them to understand that the job really matters to you and that you're bringing them in, but that you're not putting ultimatums on the table. You're not making demands. So Sneaky Pete here has a question. Let's go Sneaky Pete. Because <laughs> there's a, the other side I of that I know that's coin. a TV show that doesn't really involve anything of what we just talked about. But well, what about the idea of like, you know, when you're going into negotiations, you don't always want to put your kind of, I want to call it the negative bottom line of like, oh, but I could totally give up the vacation if I had to, like right up there. Like this isn't exactly an etiquette question that I'm posing to my older cousin here. <laughs> but what, I, like, would you, would you go in just saying, you know, I have this thing planned and wanted to talk about the possibility of still going on it or wanted to talk about how that might affect my startup or wanted to talk about how that could fit in as opposed to just right up front saying the like, I could get rid of it if you needed me to because I feel like they're going to jump right on that. And I kind of want to protect a little bit of this like vacation that S has planned. <laughs> Master of sample scripts. I think both of the things that you just said work well. Really? Yes. Okay. I do. And, really? and Yes. Okay. I don't think you seeded too much ground. Okay. But you also put it on the table okay. without coming off like you're making a demand or telling someone, well, this is the thing and I've just got to be able to go do it. And that's part of the deal. What about without listing all of the like, well, and then the travel deposits, this and this, like I could see very easily you wanting to like go into all the reasons why it would be a hassle to cancel this. And that's where I definitely, yeah, exactly. Dan's shaking his head. I would just go, no, no, don't start listing off why it would be such a trouble to, to cancel this vacation. And that's why I think you do that process ahead of time for yourself where you say, how does this fit in? 
is it something I'd be willing to give up? I think part of the thinking on how hard you want to push or making that choice is something else you mentioned, which is you got to do the research, find out what's refundable, what you could do as far as changing the dates, but maybe leaving the deposit in place. There's oftentimes more wiggle room than you might think, and you want to have all of that information as you go in. It's also possible that you say to yourself, no, this matters to me. This is a vacation that I planned. It's worth more than this new job. And I think you can take a different tack if that's the case for you. If you would take the vacation over the job, yeah, you can right? come <laughs> in a little stronger. You can come in a little harder. You might even choose to let someone know a little sooner. I was in my ruthless part of my brain wondering whether I wanted to say something during the interview process or once I'd accepted the job. Because I think they're oh, both yeah. reasonable. I would state my intent to accept the job and then I'd say, but I do need to talk about start dates with you. Or I would like to talk about, you know, that first three month or a typical six month probationary period. I do have one conflict. And that might be a way that I would address it. Is it like kind of that soft accept, but also with a, I, I would like to accept this, but there are some things we need to discuss. So in terms of that soft accept or if my acceptance was contingent upon this being granted, (laughs) then I would say something sooner. Because then the sooner you reach that point of decision, the better. If there is that gray area wiggle room where you'd be willing to negotiate, you'd be willing to cancel it, you'd rather not, I think then the timing of that reveal matters. I don't think it's being secretive or keeping something yeah, no, no, inappropriate to sense. yourself if you decided to wait until you accepted the job. Yeah. As long as in your mind you're ready to at that point negotiate and work with them whatever the resolution is. Another place that we might see this is if you had like a, a medical thing coming up or a surgery scheduled or something like that and you don't necessarily have I, – I, I don't know the laws around what you have to disclose about time off and paid medical leave. But when you're starting a job, letting them know something like that, I think it, it is important to say, you know, there is something I have on my calendar that's that's going on. And then you yourself have to figure out how how much you let in because it is a medical thing. But this would be another topic area where you could see – you know, some real conflict and where the actual event itself may be way more important than the job. And so that could be one of those places where you have to, you find yourself in a position of both wanting to accept but having to explain something about either your personal life or your, your previously determined schedule. And in the case of something that involves health or mental health, I think that you are protected by laws that let you push that further down the road, right. even if it is a a harder point of negotiation, there might be a moment of opportunity that presents itself when in the course of finding out about the position or negotiating the position, you're talking about vacation time. Yeah, and And medical leave and schedules and probationary periods and that kind of stuff. You might want to be mentally prepared for that moment when it occurs because that's a great time to mention something like I had been planning a vacation for two months in – Would that be problematic? Is there any wiggle room in this probationary period? S, we hope that this helps. And for you, we hope that you get the job and the vacation. Vacation. That wonderful American institution of going new places and doing new things. The vacation baggage is all packed and the family car is in tip-top shape. All checked and ready to go places. Our next question is about waiting for the invitation. Hi, Awesome Etiquette team. Love the show. And if anyone could answer this wedding etiquette question, it's you. My boyfriend's work bud is getting married in Costa Rica this January. My boyfriend is 100% positive we will be invited because they're buds and they hang out outside of work. His friend even told him when he was going to propose. I pointed out that destination weddings can sometimes be a tactic for the bride and groom to have just their families and closest friends in attendance. He still thinks we'll be invited, though, even though his friend has said nothing of the sort. The wedding is now just six months away. If we are invited and decide to go, I need to renew my passport and would like to start preparing for the cost of an international vacation. I think we would have received a save-the-date by now. What's the etiquette here? Should the save-the-dates for an international wedding have gone out? Would it be rude to ask? I've been pressing my boyfriend to ask his friend for some details to try to sleuth out the info, but he thinks there's nothing to sleuth out. Interested to hear your thoughts. 
S as well. We have lots of S's writing in today. <laughs> S number two, this is one of those places where I think etiquette would help me make a decision. And the general etiquette is that you don't ask for an invitation to a wedding. And I'm going to put on my patience hat and say, as curious as I am, as much as I'd like the heads up, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And if the invitation comes so late that it's not possible to say yes, that might just be a consequence of them waiting so long. You asked if the dates for an international wedding should have already gone out. Probably giving someone six months or more time to plan for international travel is wise if you're planning that kind of wedding and you do want people to be able to say yes and be there. I think a save the date for a wedding that's not a big destination wedding is Important well too. <laughs> served to have been sent before as much as a year ahead of time. Yeah. The wedding season gets busy and as Lizzie has pointed out on this show – What's not a destination wedding for you often is for a number of your guests. So thinking of almost every wedding as a destination wedding in terms of the timing is something worth considering. That being said, not everybody abides by the good old Emily Poe's chart of wedding planning timing. And so you could totally end up with folks who don't get it and think that four months is plenty of time to plan and travel and save and do and make arrangements and all that. So you're in a really big pickle here. You don't know whether they're just not on point planners or whether you're not invited. And in the absence of information, it's really hard to know what's going on. I think that the best approach here is probably a little bit of soft sleuthing. And I would ask my friend about how plans for the wedding are shaping up. And just see if that you sounds like a safe question. See if you get anything. I mean, that's a general thing. When you know someone's getting married, you ask them about their wedding plans and how it's going. I think that that's that's really good. You could even, you know, with all of your awesome etiquette knowledge, like throw in a oh, there is a question about a destination wedding on that the show I listened to the other week. I mean, you can you can use things like that to kind of get even more if you want. You know, you hear Dan and I talk about step two of our five-step process where we're looking at all the different solutions. And one of the solutions is just to be blunt and direct and just say, hey, I know that travel for weddings is really crazy and planning can be really crazy, but you and I are close and I know that friends aren't always invited to weddings, but but we just, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with yours and I wanted to be prepared and I'm totally okay with it if we aren't invited. But I did want to ask the question because I was getting kind of curious if we were going to see a save the date in the mail or not. And I didn't want to put pressure on you, but I did want to make sure that we were going to be able to plan appropriately if by chance we were invited. You don't think that sounds like fishing for Uh, an invite? No, I think that there's a combination of two things. One, yes, it could sound like fishing for an invite, but if delivered in that tone of I really didn't want to, and I, in fact, the reason I hadn't brought this up yet is I don't want it to look like we're fishing for an invite because putting pressure on a bride and groom for that is not appropriate. I just got nervous that if we were, we weren't going to be able to save to come. That that's the kind of conversation among really good friends you could have. That's the kind of stuff that's going on. I have a, a friend of a friend of mine is throwing a very untraditional wedding, and until they decided how they were going to do that, there was a lot of question about whether friends were going to be invited or not. And so we often had those conversations of, and they ended kind of like. Well, when you guys decide, let us know, or we're happy to celebrate you any way you see fit. And those are the kinds of things that helped it not feel pressure on the bride and groom to feel like they needed to to invite anyone. If you're taking that blunt approach where you're just talking about it, I think there are two things that I'd really want to avoid. One is that appearance of fishing for the invite, which clearly is not good form, is rude. (laughs) The other would be coming across as criticizing them for not having sent their save the dates yet. Like they don't know better wedding timing to be considerate to their guests. Yeah, no, you definitely don't want to come across like you're judging Or they their know, but they're behind style. schedule yeah. and you're just sitting there wondering what's wrong with them or do they know or yeah. why they're not doing the thing they know they should be doing. It's It's a fine line to tread there. And as you point out, some relationships are close enough. Some people are very open in terms of their thinking about these kind of things, and that conversation would serve them and you well. Other people aren't going to take that conversation so well. Wedding planning is such a stressful moment in so many people's lives. I think it's why my first reaction was, 
I'm just gonna wait and see what happens. This is this is ball in their well, court, court territory. This is like classic Dan versus Lizzie too, right? Because Dan's like, no, no, no. If it's their problem, if they don't get me an invite, it's too late, and we don't get to go. Sorry, bud. Next time, be more on it. Whereas I would want to, as Dan just said, get in there and do all the feelings and like be like, eh, let's just find out. Because if I find out, then I can deal with it, and I'm not gonna take it personally if I don't get invited. So if I can convey that to the person I'm talking to in a way that I know will allow them to feel comfortable and not put on the spot, then I I would use my route. Um, There's a third option here, guys, that we aren't talking about. Start planning for saving and get all those details underway just so that they're there. And now if you don't get invited, A, you're all set up for an international vacation and B, you would be ready to hit go at a moment's notice. So I say, If you really want to say yes, if this wedding invitation does come, I would definitely say start planning for it now. Just do that regardless. And you can always put the money towards something else. You can already get your passport in place. And that's not a bad thing to have ready to go. A little extra savings never hurt. Exactly. S, good luck as you navigate this tricky situation. But communications is much more important than just talking. It transfers an idea. That's what communication means, transferring an idea. Our next question is titled Me First, and it actually comes from less than a mile away in Winooski, Vermont. Here's an etiquette question. Full disclosure, my wife and I disagree about this, and it is the source of a wee bit of marital disharmony. Assume that two people are out walking together on a warm summer's day. Easy thing to do. Person A carries the water bottle. Person B says, I'm thirsty. Would you please pass the water? This causes person A to realize she or he is thirsty as well. So she or he unscrews the cap, takes a drink, and then passes the bottle to person B. Our question is, is it poor etiquette for person A to take a drink before passing the water bottle? Or is this perfectly acceptable? Note, one could also substitute lip balm for chapped lips, salt Mm -hmm. at the dinner table, etc., We look forward to your response. Best, Seth Gillum, Winooski, Vermont. Not only does it come from an hour away, Seth is an old, old friend. Our fathers were old, old friends. (laughs) Seth, it is so good to hear from you. Please give our best to the whole family. So I had to laugh when I read this because it totally reminded me of what I now realize was my very first etiquette practical joke that I ever played on anybody. Do tell. As a wee kindergartner, I was sitting at the lunch table with my best bud, Heather Gregoric, and she asked for a napkin, and the napkin holder was over to my right. And so I grabbed a napkin, wiped it on my face, and handed it to her. And she she cracked up. The whole lunch table cracked up. It was just this very silly, jokey, pranky moment, innocent in its... Lizzie Post, that's the funniest (laughs) thing I have ever not heard from you until this moment. (laughs) It was just like a be silly in the moment kind of a thing, but it stuck. And I never... That is so Lizzie Post. At five years old, you were still Lizzie Post. (laughs) Yeah, no, I didn't change. This wasn't like something I chose. This is just who I am. Um, But yeah, no, it, it cracked me up because doing what I do now... I have thought about that moment at times, but I never really connected it to being like my first manners prank. <laughs> so was that bad form? Yeah, no, it definitely was. I mean, that was the joke, right? It's bad etiquette, so that's bad form. I think that the solution for this is for person B, who is handing the water bottle, salt shaker, chapstick, whatever it is, to say, oh, do you mind if I grab a sip first? Or to just simply take the sip after person a takes the sip or to say, yeah, sure. Do you mind saving me a sip if it's at the end and you're down to like the last of it? But that's where I've seen that work best is, oh, I'm thirsty too. Do you mind if I take a sip? But I think it's better to just hand it to the other person. The person who asked first, I think should get it first. I think the simple answer yeah. is the right answer. Yes, it's a little bit rude if someone asks for something and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to have a little bit before I give it to you. That is the easier way to say it. Um, well, this is gray area etiquette territory as it often is. Totally. And I think there is some some room to play here. So yeah. is it perfectly acceptable to take a drink before you hand it off? Probably not. Yeah, no, I wouldn't put the I wouldn't perfectly, say it perfectly on it. it at all. 
Like, definitely not without asking. No, if you just, like, if Dan just says, hey, can I have that coffee? And I, like, take a sip first and hand it to him. No, that's just, like, straight up not appropriate. I don't know who I know, we are siding with I know, at the risk of uh, taking a side here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that I think we can agree on. I do think it's questionable whether you do the ask to take the sip first once you realize, oh, I want a sip of water too. I think that that's still in like, it's still putting you first when someone has asked something of you, which is generally considered not polite. But I do like the, oh no, if we're at the end, I don't want them to just swig it and take all of it. So I want to say, hey, yeah, but could you save me a sip? Like that's my favorite solution. Solution C is my favorite. But... Me, me too. Okay. I like that. Yes, I'm happy to share but here are some considerations. Wait a minute. You have a question in here I didn't think about. Did you agree to share already? Is this a shared water bottle between two partners or is it one person's? And do you know where this question, where this idea comes from, ladies and gentlemen? Dan's wife loves to share plates and Dan does not like to share food at the dinner table at all. <laughs> So I wanted to get the simple answer on the table because I also wanted to really complicate the situation. Do it. There were a couple of other factors that I think come into play here. And this is where I think we can step back from taking a firm side in this argument yeah. and start to allow for all of the delicious complexities that relationships and interactions can have. Okay. Did you agree to share already? Is this a shared water bottle? It matters. If you're carrying water for both of you, then, oh, I'd like a sip. Absolutely. Here's your sip. Yeah. If you carry a water bottle because you know you sweat a lot, you're really tired, you're really thirsty, it's a different situation. And the assumption that that water is available for someone else isn't necessarily correct. And it's the parameter that we're operating What do under. you mean? You did, didn't you sign a legal document saying you were going to share everything? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Your water bottle. Pretty much. <laughs> and your dinner plates. <laughs> but you might have had a discussion about how I order what I like to order, and I don't usually intend to share. I'm more than happy to share a little bit, but I don't want to go halvesies. That could be a conversation that would set you up to say, I'd love to share, but. Right. Um, Maybe you're doing something like I'm going to carry the bag with our sandwiches, granola bars, right. and water bottles up, and you're going to carry it down. Mm -hmm. If it really is shared duty and shared resources, then whoever asks first gets it first. Yeah. What if you're getting to the end of the water bottle? Someone's already drank their half. You've been really careful to not drink your half because you wanted to save some. There are all kinds of ways that you might – find yourself in a situation where you don't just want to give it up. <laughs> right? No, there. it really is funny when we think about the nuances of these little particular sharing and consumption moments because there is only so much water in that water bottle and you don't always know when the next fill-up is. And I, I, love, I love seeing this inner part of my cousin get to come out. <laughs> so let's leave the complexity behind. Yeah. Back and I want to the simplicity. finish on the thought that I would not die on this hill. Yeah, no. Not from thirst and not over commitment to whatever side of this argument I happened to be on. Yeah. If someone feels very strongly one way or the other about this, this is one of those places where discretion might be the better part of valor. Mm -hmm. And you might just proceed in the way that the person who feels more strongly feels. Is that diplomatic enough? It's definitely <laughs> diplomatic. Seth, thank you for writing in. This was an excellent question and a lot of fun. Can you pass me the water, please? No. So you learn to share with others. You'll like it. Your friends will like you, too. Our next question is, oops, sticky bills. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have an awkward babysitting scenario that I would love your thoughts on. A few weeks ago, my husband and I went out and used our usual sitter. We utilize her services about once every two months or so. She's in high school, and I know her mom, but beyond babysitting, we aren't close. She's pretty shy with us, but great with the girls. Anyway... On the way home, we stopped at an ATM to get cash to pay her. My husband got the cash from the machine and handed it to me. I assumed it was what we owed her. So at the end of the evening, I handed it all over without counting it. After she left, we discovered an oops. My husband had taken an extra $20 out, so we would just have some extra cash for the next morning. Lesson learned on our part about assuming, and a sweet tip for her. 
My question now is: Next time we hire her, it will be at her regular rate. Is there a way to broach the overpay without making her uncomfortable or having her think we want the money back? We don't. I just don't want her thinking she did something wrong this time around and is getting less. Any guidance? Thank you. Perplexed parents. Ah,、uh, perplexed parents. That moment where you have to pay the babysitter is definitely. Fraught with etiquette, I found myself in that moment thinking to myself, "Boy, this person deserves a lot more than this. They just took care of my kids. They <laughs> offered me freedom for a night." Or and, grudgingly, oh gosh, why did we stay out so late? I don't want to be shelling out a hundred bucks. <laughs> it's really nice to be able to get this person. I want to stay in their good graces. My kid likes them. They're available. They're trustworthy. I don't think there's a big problem here.、No. I think that moment can feel a little tense. I think that the fact that you've had a regular rate discussion is awesome and serves you very well. Yes, it takes a lot of the mystery out of that moment. If you have an understanding between you that's been stated, that's explicit about an hourly rate or a rate for an evening, I think that you can stick to that. I think that it's not uncommon to offer a little tip, so you might very well have a situation the next time where you're figuring out what the rate is, and maybe you give a little tip. Maybe it's not a big twenty dollar tip that allows you to say, "Hey, this is your usual rate, X, Y, or Z per hour," but there's an extra five in there because we so appreciate your coming. It opens up. The idea that there is a regular rate and there's sometimes a little tip. I was going to say because you don't want to now. So this time there would have been a twenty dollar tip, and the next time it's a five dollar tip. Like if it goes all over the map, that in some ways creates security for you because you can then make your choice. But I would worry about feeling like I was always having to add a tip. You know, once I had started, and I think that's that's one thing that our question asker might be getting at too. As a babysitter, I always ask anytime I receive more than what I've calculated out for the evening, and I say, "Oh, it looks like there's an extra like thirty bucks, twenty bucks, five bucks in here. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Did you mean that, or were the bills sticky? Literally, because that does happen. Almost always, they say, 'Ah、oh, ha ha, lucky you.' You know, something like that, or 'Oh no, we really did want to give you an extra twenty, or something like that. And this gal's probably way too young to know to broach that subject at all. She really probably did just." Think you gave her an extra twenty bucks, and and honestly was probably nervous about whether or not to bring it up or not. But I, I tend to run the route of go go back to paying the normal thing, especially if you don't want to get in the habit of a tip. And you can explain that you realized last time that you you gave her an extra twenty, and you both were happy to have given that to her, but also needed to return to your regular rate. And I think that that's a very fair way of stating that. Absolutely, the fact that there is a regular rate. Really does make this pretty easy. Yeah. If Lizzie and I are making an assumption that that regular rate is something firm that was really established, right? And it isn't. That's the discussion that I think is the good discussion to have.、That's... Where the next time you're hiring or、yeah. or him, you say very explicitly, "We're going to be out for four hours at fifteen dollars an hour. We're expecting this is going to be about a sixty dollar job tonight." Yeah. And. Bam, done. Everybody knows what the parameters are, what the expectations are, and your choice or not to include a tip really becomes your choice. Final thought: You know, use this as a tipping inspiration. Every now and again, toss your babysitter an extra twenty bucks, just at random. We love it. Perplexed parents, we hope that this relationship continues and you're able to enjoy many more evenings. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost dot com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at eight zero two eight five eight kind. That's eight zero two eight five eight five four six three. On social media, we are at Emily Post Institute on Instagram. We are Awesome Etiquette on Facebook, and we are at Emily Post Inst on Twitter. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your posts so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today, we hear from Maggie. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. Thank you for an amazing podcast. Your discussion about SL, a listener's question about handling birthday party invitations and non-invitations, was detailed and considerate. I dealt with this exact situation a few months ago and thought I would write in to let your listener know one possible solution to his or her situation. 
My husband and I were sending out invitations to my daughter's first birthday party, and due to venue size limitations, we were able to invite my cousin and her children, but not my aunt or uncle, the parents of the cousin. Our family has a tradition of large, welcoming parties, so this went a little against the grain to invite part of our family, but not everyone. We sent out the invitations and requested the RSVPs be made to my cell phone. So when my cousin RSVP'd yes, we took the opportunity to follow up and say, so glad you are coming. We wanted to give you a heads up that we weren't able to invite your parents because of the size of the venue. We're looking forward to seeing you soon. Likewise, the next time we happened to talk to my aunt and uncle, we mentioned, hey, the birthday party is this weekend and we're so sorry we couldn't extend an invitation to you, but we hope to see you soon. It was a very natural way to have the conversation with both the invited and non-invited guests to keep everything above board and hopefully make everyone feel included in some way. Hope this helps. Keep up the great work, Maggie. Maggie, I really like your feedback. It's a nice development on the answer that we gave. I like the way you seize the opportunity of the RSVP to mention to the folks that were coming some details about the party that might help them navigate what was coming for them, probably discussing that they were going to this big family party with other members of the family who (laughs) it might be worth knowing were not invited. (laughs) And very simply to explain the reasons that it's not because you forgot about them. It's not because you wanted to exclude them because of something they did, but that it really was just a venue constraint and you had some tough choices to make. The lighter touch with the people that weren't invited, I think, is a decent option also, particularly where everybody's so close that you know there's some discussion going on offline or are reasonable in your assumption that there might be some discussion going on about why some people would be invited and others not when traditionally in your family everyone's invited and just a mention of that to those people with a brief, brief, brief explanation is a nice way to maybe bring those discussions out into the light and let everyone participate, including you. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please, please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about moms and weddings. We are. We have this wonderful book that our Aunt Peggy Post wrote, and it's called A Wedding Planner for Moms. And it's it's not one of our newer titles. It's been around for quite some time. You can find it in our bookstore online at emilypost.com. But I wanted to read just the first four points that Peggy talks about in the introduction to this book because, you know, weddings are a really special time. And as generations evolve and change, the idea of a wedding and what it means and how and why we express it is is changing. And there are lots of couples who have a lot of ideas for themselves that don't always resonate with mom's vision, or there are a lot of moms who really want to be supportive but don't know how to be in in a new type of situation. And I just thought that these points were really good, both for those who are aligning, you know, with what their children are doing and those who maybe aren't. (laughs) But I really, I like the focus that, that we've taken on what a role moms play. And the other thing I would like to extend before we read this is that Moms in this situation can really be anyone. It could be your big sister. It could be your aunt. It could be your father. It could be your brother. It could be your uncle. It could be your grandparents. Um, It could be your best friend. A lot of us have chosen families. And so when a lot of the times when you hear us say the family relationships, in our minds, we are also saying, or the person that represents this archetype or character for you in your life. I love that idea of your chosen family. Your chosen family. So here are a few general principles to help guide you through the months of planning ahead, Peggy writes. Follow the lead of the couple, no matter how many good ideas you're brimming with or how much you're contributing financially. This wedding day belongs to the engaged couple. Your role can be summed up in a simple phrase. What could I do to help? Talk early and often about what duties the couple wants to take on what their priorities and budget are, and where they might like you to pitch in. When you offer suggestions, do so with a light touch and give way gracefully if your suggestion is overruled. Two, 
The mother of the groom should defer to the mother of the bride. Circumstances vary, of course, but in general, the bride's parents lead the way for all of the parents and other relatives. And if you're of a same-sex couple, then it's often just whoever's sort of taking the lead on hosting. When it's your son who is getting married, even if you participate in some of the details of the planning process, bear in mind that. With the exception of the rehearsal dinner, the parents of the bride are almost always the official hosts of the ceremony and reception, as well as the major events leading up to the big day. Take your cues from the bride's mother. Check in with her before you decide on your mother of the groom outfit for the wedding day. If you want to throw a party, send out announcements, or contribute to the wedding in some way. Always discuss your plans with the parents of the bride. Then adhere to their wishes. This is fairly traditional information here, and it's really important to note that what we care more about than the bride versus the groom and this parent deferring to that parent is that you simply have these conversations. So. I think that even if you are the mother of the bride, and we are talking about a bride and groom situation, and we're even talking about a very, very traditional situation, I might say, as the mother of the bride, "Oh, I'd love to talk with you about outfits, just so that we're both coordinating and feel comfortable in what we're wearing, rather than, 'Oh, I'll tell you what I'm wearing, so you can make a decision off of that, so we don't compete with each other.' I mean, such a different tone, correct? Your first example was making me feel. Relaxed. Your second example started to raise anxiety in、right? me. Just hearing that 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 difference was remarkable in terms of the way I felt. And this is one of the things that we run into when we're talking about、um, wedding etiquette these days, because the circumstances vary so much. And it's why Peggy starts off with that as the very first words of this point. Circumstances vary, of course, because sometimes it's the groom's family who's hosting. Sometimes you know there isn't a groom at all. You know sometimes because. Of personalities, we choose to defer to the groom's mother instead of deferring to the bride's mother. I mean, there are just so many reasons this could be different from your family. But the point at the heart of it is to be talking about and to be recognizing that together, as you're planning for these events, you want to be in communication with one another. You want to be noticing when things are going to impact each other, like wardrobe or like guest lists or like financial contributions. I would also state that nowadays it's more typical for each set of parents to talk with their respective child before talking to each other, and that just does tend to happen. Like I, I would imagine that your parents might have talked with you about potential budgets, and then you were able to communicate that out. You know, sort of, you act like a, a little point in between the two parenting parties. That's certainly a common avenue to send important information. Number three, I like this one because it, it seems so technical for me. Keep backup copies of all key information. This is such a great mom thing to do, or such a great organizer thing to do. Is that no matter what it is that the kids are planning, you de- and the kids they could be forty years old, but the kids are planning. You definitely want to make sure that you have that safety backup version of it somewhere. Like, oh, honey, let me let me make a copy of that receipt. Oh, receipts honey, for down payments, you know, contract schedules. <laughs> it makes such a difference. So Peggy writes. Even if the couple is doing a superb job of planning, you'll stand ready to be a hero whenever a glitch occurs. If you've maintained a backup records of vendors' names, phone numbers, and street and email addresses, guests' addresses and full names, information on hotel accommodations, and wedding gifts received when feasible. In addition, you'll be in a position to give a gentle reminder when necessary, or even offer to take over a given task if the wedding preparations should fall behind schedule. And I really like that idea of being that backup planner. You know, you let people move forward, you give them the confidence to do it on their own, but you just simply are at the ready. I mean, what a great mom tip! Four, and this one is so so key: communicate on a regular basis. 
Mothers who have been involved in successful planning of a wedding invariably report that they made a point of staying in regular touch with the couple, communicating at least once a week by phone or email or text, and more often as the wedding date drew near. Regular chats, whether conducted online, you know, via email, or whether that's via phone or in person, they allow you to address problems as soon as they arise and also give you an opportunity to provide ongoing emotional support for the couple. You never know when that moment that the help is really needed or most appreciated is going to happen. So, like Picasso says, let inspiration find you working. Be there, be present, and... That moment will emerge. Lizzie Post, thank you for bringing us the Bob's Planner. I can hear Peggy Post's voice in my head as you're reading, and she was so good with this wedding content. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms, and we want to hear more of it, so please, please, please send us your etiquette salutes. Today we have one from Firefly. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I've been enjoying your podcast every week since I found it several months ago. As a young person, I've seen many of my peers show a complete lack of regard for etiquette as a whole, dismissing it as irrelevant and old-fashioned. I appreciate that in your podcast, you take traditional principles of etiquette and demonstrate how they apply to relevant, modern, real-life situations that are based in kindness, ease, and respect. I wanted to send in a brief salute. I work in a service profession at which I'm usually behind a counter that I am physically not supposed to step away from while at work. Thus, if I see someone that may need help entering or exiting a door, I'm not always able to step away from my post to help them. Recently, while at work, I was stationed in such a way while a mother of two, carrying one child and pushing the other in a stroller, was struggling to get through the exit door gracefully. Without hesitating, the young man who was next in line left his place to assist the mother of two with the door. He would have lost his place in line, but did so selflessly when he saw that someone else needed help. Then the person behind him, who would become next in line since the young man had left, offered him his place back at the front, also without hesitating. I know it's just a couple of small gestures, but it really warmed my heart to see strangers behaving so kindly towards one another. It's good to know that at least some other folks my age are thinking in terms of etiquette. Thanks for all that you do, Firefly. Firefly, that is, thank you so much, because that is exactly the point we were making at the start of the show, that it's it's the small things, it's the little kindnesses, we need to highlight them, we need to recognize that they are happening in our world, because otherwise it can be a really sad place to look around to, and I just, I love the etiquette salutes because of this, it just, it shows you that positive, bright spot where people are trying to make a difference for each other. It's where I want to put my attention. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share the show with your friends, family, and coworkers on social media or wherever you connect with friends, family, and coworkers. You can reach us by email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or send us a text to 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And on Instagram, where we are busy almost every day, we are Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the regular version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. 